And this morning we'll be in 1 Kings 17, verses 17 through 24. I read this little story of Henry Augustus Rowland. Uh, I didn't, had not heard of him. Some of you may have, especially if you are uh, into physics or a physicist. He was a professor of physics at John Hopkins University, and he was uh, one time called to be an expert witness at a trial. And during the cross-examination, the lawyer demanded, what are your qualifications as an expert witness in this case? The normally modest professor replied quietly, I am the greatest living expert on this subject under discussion. (laughs) Later, a friend who knew the professor well expressed his surprise at how uncharacteristic this answer was of Professor Roland. Roland answered, well, what did you expect me to do? I was under oath. (laughs) he had to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth right so help me god right that is in our court of law i had to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth truth is important not a truth not my truth but the truth And this morning, a woman in our story is confronted with a new reality that leads to an exclamation of the truth. So let's read 1 Kings 17, 17 through 24. Remember, Elijah has gone to this widow that God is using to supply his need of food and shelter And it says, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, what have you against me, O man of God? You've come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged, and he laid laid him on his own bed. And he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Your word made flesh who dwelt among us, Jesus, whose words were truth, are truth, and will be truth. 
We thank you for your word written, given to us, that it is truth. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and proclaim this truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the past few weeks, we've been in our series on the life of Elijah (coughs) titled, The Lord is My God. We've been introduced to the prophet Elijah, and we found out that his name gives us much of what we need to know about his life and mission. His name means Yahweh, or transliterated Lord, is my God. Yahweh is my God, the special covenantal name that God gave to his people. Elijah has pronounced a drought on the land to King Ahab because of his sin in leading the people to worship Baal. God provided for Elijah by the brook Cherith, by having the ravens bring meat and bread to him. Then once the brook dried up, God directed Elijah to Zarephath to be cared for by a widow there. And the irony that we saw is that Zarephath is in the enemy territory. It's Phoenicia, where uh, is the main country where Baal is worshipped. And not only that, but he is to be cared for by a widow, usually the most vulnerable in ancient cultures. In our text last week, when Elijah meets this woman and asks her to feed him, she replies with the pronouncement, as your God lives, I have almost nothing to eat. She has discerned that Baal is dead or at the very least has fallen asleep. And because this drought is so severe, severe and Elijah's God is the one who said that this would happen, he is the one who is alive at work, is in control, unlike the God Baal. The question we were confronted with from the text last week was, do we live as though God is alive? Do we live as though God is alive? And we saw that because our God lives, we can follow Him. We can follow His direction, even into enemy territory. We can follow His command to provide hospitality even to our enemies. We can follow him by his word, which is our provision. This week, Elijah is still living in the house of this woman and her son, being provided for her by her providing shelter and food. But tragedy upon tragedy strikes, and her son dies, right? The text says that uh, his breath left him, and in in the Hebrew, that is a a way of saying that he is dead. His breath has left him. This causes her to question the motives of God and his prophet. Elijah then prays, and God raises the boy from the dead, In response to the resurrection of her son, the widow declares, now she knows that Elijah is a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in his mouth, the word of truth. And so the question that we're confronted with from our text today is, do we know that the word of the Lord is truth? Like this woman who, through her experience, now knows that the word of the Lord is truth, do we know that the word of the Lord is truth? 
not a truth, not a truth for me, but truth. Do we know the word of the Lord is truth? And how do we know that the word of the Lord is truth? The widow tells us how we know the word of the Lord is truth. And that's our main point. It's because of resurrection power, we know the word of the Lord is truth. Because of resurrection power, we know the word of the Lord is truth, right? The widow says to Elijah, now I know, right? I didn't know from the fact that you like, you know, pronounced God's favor upon me and that my oil never ran out and my flour never ran out. And miraculously, I had all that I needed to eat each and every day. I didn't know then, but I know now. Because of resurrection power, I know the word of the Lord is truth. And that's our main point from our text. Because of resurrection power, we know the word of the Lord is truth. Truth over suffering, truth over sin, and ultimately truth over death. First, truth over suffering in verses 17 through 20. This woman assumes that her child's death is punishment from some presumed, though unknown, offense or sin that has come to the attention of some de- of this deity of Elijah's because of the prophet's presence. Right? She has previously benefited from Elijah's presence through this ongoing oil and grain being available to her, not running out, but now she wonders not wonders, but knows in a deep way that the cost may have been too high. And what's interesting is that kind of understanding the the, the culture that she's in, prophets were often considered dangerous, right? And you can kind of explain, you know why. If you have read through Scripture and you see the prophets, it seems like whenever they're around, something bad's going to happen, right? They're dangerous, and they posed a considerable risk, right? The gods could be harsh. They could sometimes be generous, but they could often be harsh, and the prophets represented them. And, hey, if I did something that might, you know, make one of the gods mad, maybe their prophet then will be mad at me and do something. Or maybe I'll offend the prophet, and he might, in an uncontrolled moment, pronounce some sort of curse on me. Look at the text. It's not just this unbelieving woman who questions God. Elijah, God's prophet, God's man. Yahweh is my God, Elijah. Questions whether the Lord has repaid evil for good. Right? In our, in our text, he takes the boy and carries him up to the upper room where he's staying. And he cries out to the Lord, O oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? The woman believes that she's being punished by God for something. 
Elijah, the man of God, who will become known as the greatest prophet by the Jews, wonders, God, are you repaying evil for good? Has the boy been spared hunger only to die from disease? Has God lost the ability to sustain life in the homeland of Baal? I don't know about you, but these questions aren't unknown to us. My guess is we've all had them. God, have you paid evil for good? We're not the only ones who have had these kind of questions, or the woman, or Elijah. Jesus' disciples had the same questions. We see this in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, they come across a man who's been born blind, and the disciples ask Jesus, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Jesus said it wasn't the man or the parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Right? We sometimes, maybe even more than we should, equate our suffering as proof that God is out to get us. We see the circumstances in our life or the circumstances of others or the experience that we're having and we wonder, is God out to get us? Well, the Apostle Paul, who knew suffering through the treatment he received, being whipped and tortured and shipwrecked and all kinds of other aspects of life that he endured, also endured what he called a thorn in the flesh. The Apostle Paul says that we can rejoice in our sufferings. How is that possible? He says it's because we have obtained access to the grace of Jesus Christ in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of glory. He goes on to say, suffering produces Christ-likeness, endurance, character, hope, which does not put us to shame. Paul goes on then in chapter 8 of Romans to remind us that nothing, not even our sufferings or anything else in all the universe can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So the truth of our suffering is not that God is out to get us, but that God has come to us. God is with us. God is there, walking with us, producing endurance, character, and hope. 
truth over suffering. Because of resurrection power, we know the word of the Lord is truth over suffering. It is also truth over sin. In verse 18, this woman believes it is her sin. You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Notice it's not even a question, right? (laughs) She's convinced of this. This suffering is because of her sin. She believed, as often in the Old Testament, that death and sickness must be punishment for some, some hidden sin now brought into the light. Just as the disciples asked Jesus that I just mentioned in John chapter 9, did this man or his parents sin? There must be something that I don't know about that's causing this to happen. Now, our passage really doesn't address this, but as we saw in the Gospel of John, Jesus says that God doesn't work that way. Now, there are a few instances in the Bible when we do see an individual or a family's sin that does bring about direct punishment from God through disease, illness, or death. And yet, that is not the norm in Scripture. The Bible doesn't depict God smiting people for his sin or that sin. You're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. That's not how God is depicted in the Bible. In fact, we were just talking about this in our communicants class this morning that as Adam and Eve sinned against God in the garden, they deserved death, right? What they deserved in that moment was to be put to death. And yet God in his grace and his mercy covered their shame by sacrificing animals, putting their gar- his, those garments on them, protecting them from not being able to re-enter the garden and continue to eat from the tree of life, that they would live forever in their state of sin and misery, and promised to them that Jesus would one day come and make all things right and new. God does not work that way. That is not his norm in Scripture. And yet we do know that sin does have consequences. And sometimes God in his mercy doesn't allow us to experience those consequences. But we also know that sometimes God in his mercy, he does allow us to experience those consequences. And yet, in a very real way, the widow's words are true. Our sin, the sinfulness of our very nature, passed on to us by our parents, Adam and Eve, does bring death. Right, her words. Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son? She is thinking of some particular sin that she might have forgotten about or didn't know about, and it has caused the death of her son. But she unknowingly is speaking truth, the truth of sin, that our sin, the sinfulness of our very nature does bring death. Everyone, 
the widow's son, the widow, you, me, we will all die. Sin in its original nature in all its particular ways brings death. As Paul states clearly in Romans 6, we were slaves to sin and the end of sin is death. Sin only leads to death. And death reigned because of sin, and the wages of sin is death. But the Apostle Paul doesn't stop there. He declares the truth over sin. We have been set free from sin, and the free gift of God is eternal life. Because of resurrection power, we know the word of the Lord is truth over suffering, truth over sin, finally truth over death, verses 21 through 24. You know, part of the understanding of the fertility gods like Baal was the dying and rising cycle that was related to vegetation and to the seasons. And the deity would, quote, die during the winter months and descend into the netherworld and he'd be brought back out of the netherworld and restored to life in the spring and bring fertility back to the land. And his power to enable fertility expanded beyond the crops to animals and people as well. And as a God who regularly returned from death, it was believed that these fertility gods also had the power to occasionally restore life to someone who had died. And yet, this woman knows that Baal is dead. She has seen it in the fact that this, that this God of Elijah has provided for her and her son. And through this experience of the power of the resurrection, of resurrecting power, the widow comes to know that the Lord who sustained her life with grain and oil is not only the Lord of sustaining life, but the Lord of life, of resurrection power life. The boy is brought from death to life by the resurrecting power of God, and the woman is brought from death to life by knowing Yahweh, the resurrecting God. Right? There is not just one resurrection that took, takes place in our text today. This boy is brought from death to life. And this woman, in her proclamation of knowing that Yahweh, the Lord of Elijah, is truth, she is brought from death to life. She experienced the resurrecting power of God as well. She was walking in death, but now walking in new life, new life through the resurrecting power of Yahweh, of the God of Elijah, who is now her God too. And this is the same for us. The resurrecting power has broken into our world and our lives through the death and resurrection of his son, our Savior, Jesus. We have been brought from death to life. 
our lives lived in the power of the resurrection are now on display. Just like this son, Elijah brings this, her, her son to her and says, see, your son lives. Right? God the Father has brought to us his son and see, says, see, my son lives. Because he lives, you live in the power of the resurrection. And so we are very really, very real, living real reminders of the resurrection. You and I are living in the power of the resurrection, now on display as living proof that the word of the Lord is truth. Right? We are those who were dead and are now alive. We are living proof. The word of the Lord is truth. Jesus is the ultimate living proof that the word of the Lord is truth. Right? The power of the resurrection is living proof that all that Jesus said and did is true. So brothers and sisters, it is for us as he is living proof that the word of the Lord is truth. So we too who live in him are living proof that the word of the Lord is truth. Because of resurrection power, we know the word of the Lord is truth. Truth over suffering, truth over sin, ultimately truth over death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Your word is truth. Your word is life. Your word made flesh in Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one. And Lord, as we have come to him, Lord, we have been resurrected and will be resurrected in the last day. Lord, may each one of us, by the power at work in us, by your Holy Spirit, be living proof. As your son lives, Lord God, may we live as well. We pray this in Jesus' name.